The Washington Huskies beat the Oregon Ducks 36-33 yesterday in a game that was a tale of two halves, an all-time classic, a coin flip. This game could have easily been Oregon walking out of Husky Stadium winning 39-36 or 36-33. It could have very easily been the Ducks that came out with the victory instead of the Huskies, but history did not have it that way. And for Oregon Ducks fans who want a chance at revenge, I imagine all of you do, because this is a rivalry game, one of the better rivalry games in the Pac-12, and it will become one of the better rivalry games in the Big Ten just next year. I think that Dan Lanning will have a chance, an opportunity, for a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think that Washington and Kalen DeBoer wouldn't want to have it any other way. I think these are the two best teams in the Pac-12 by a mile. Oregon State has problems defensively, and I don't think DJ Uyunglele, as much as he's improved, and I think he's a top 15, top 10 quarterback, I don't think he's as good as either Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix. USC is just a hot mess. We're going to talk about them later today. And Utah, as far as I'm concerned, Cameron Rising is no longer their quarterback. Um, He has not started a game yet, and if he does, it will take him time to get in the groove and become the fluid, you know, aware and great college football player and quarterback that we knew him as in 2021 and 2022. Just because being away from playing in games for that long it will take some adjusting. And I don't even know if Cameron Rising will start this year. So Oregon and Washington, I think, are not just a step above in the Pac-12. They're a step above in all of college football. Much like last week, I still think these are top five, top four, top three. Maybe there's an argument that these are the top two teams in college football. I don't know if I'd go that far. But these are elite football programs and elite football teams, and they have great head coaches, great staffs, rosters that are just bubbling full of talent. Let me give you an example. Roma Dunze, awesome player, junior 6'3", 215 pounds. He has 40 receptions for 736 yards, six receiving touchdowns, and he's averaging 18.4 yards per reception. Oregon, yesterday, Before 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12.30 p.m. Local Time, Pacific Standard Time, for folks out in Washington and Oregon, Oregon had one of the better defenses and more efficient defenses in all of college football. And Odunze just took a cigar, lit it up, puffed the smoke, and said, Who cares? I'm going to have eight receptions for over 100 yards and two receiving touchdowns. And Bazinga... Washington wins the game because Odunze was able to go one-on-one and get an 18-yard reception from Michael Penix. And he also grabbed in his first of the day on a 17-yard reception in the third quarter, which extended Washington's lead to double digits. I mean, this game is just beautiful. But before we dive even further in, I want to encourage you all to subscribe to the channel, comment your thoughts on this game down below and your thoughts analysis your reactions give me all that you have on this game 
down below. And also like the video and hit the notification bell so you can get notified when I post more college football and Big Ten football content. Again, to Oregon and Washington fans, welcome to the Big Ten. I'm so excited to have you all in the conference next season, but let's focus on the here and now. And one more thing before we resume, please check out my Patreon channel via the link in the description where I post updates about my power rankings, which so far have a above 500 record against the spread, well and far above and beyond a 500 record in predicting games. Potential Power, the name of my power rankings, actually predicted Oregon to win, although very slightly. It favored Oregon to win this game by one point. I predicted Washington to win 45-39. The total was too high from my prediction, but I predicted Washington to win, and here they are. And the reason why Washington, at the end of the day, was able to come out on top was Michael Penix Jr. He made a mistake in throwing an interception. He had a total of 15 pass incompletions with 22 completions. And in the second half, he was not the same player, and he was hurt. But Michael Penix and those receivers and the offensive line and the defense were able to fight through adversity, and they were the more clutch team. And they were able to execute when it mattered, when everything was on the line, when the rope was coming apart. The staff, the players, Michael Penix Jr. and Roma Dunze themselves were able to pull it all together. That's why Washington won. And like I said earlier in the video, this is a tale of two halves. Washington, midway through the third quarter, when it was 29-18, up to that point to Bo Nix throwing an incomplete pass at the Washington 8. So later in the third quarter, who looked like the better team? Who? You know, midway through the third quarter, it was Washington. Washington at that point, I think they had around the same amount of yards, if not less, but Washington was more efficient. Washington had only scored touchdowns. Meanwhile, they held Oregon to a field goal and two fourth down stops. Washington was able to run it successfully, in fact, very successfully up to that point. Dylan Johnson on 20 carries averaged five yards per carry. And Dylan Johnson, he had a great game. I want to give him all the respect in the world. He is not the same player as Bucky Irving or Jordan James, yet he was running as efficiently as they were. At times, he had more open holes, and it was really Bucky Irving and Jordan James's power that carried them to averaging over five yards per attempt. There were times earlier in the game where Oregon struggled to run, and that made, that, that made them off. This Oregon team despite the fact that, you know, Troy Franklin had that 30-yard reception. Um, Bucky Irving, 12-yard run for a touchdown. Uh, Jordan James, 10-yard run for a touchdown. Oregon loves to run the football. They do not have Washington's depth at wide receiver. They have one elite wide receiver in Troy Franklin, who, Troy Franklin's an awesome player. Very sharp mind, able-bodied, tall, long experienced, everything you want in a receiver. I'm a Michigan fan. He, No disrespect to Roman Wilson. Roman Wilson's a near-elite wide receiver. I think Troy Franklin would be wide receiver one at Michigan. Um, and Michigan has a deep wide receiver in this year. Troy Franklin is nearly 700 receiving yards. 
and eight receiving touchdowns, and he's averaging 17.2 yards per reception. After him, there's a big drop-off in Oregon's receiver room, but where they can compensate for this is they have one of the best running back rooms in the country. Irving had over 125 yards, he had one rushing touchdown and 22 carries, and he was constantly breaking tackles, using his shiftiness, um, really well, well-disciplined running back, doesn't give up, makes something out of nothing. That's the player that Bucky Irving is. And Bo Nix did better on the road than I expected. And I'm saying all these things to say that Washington was able to throw Oregon off in just about every way to the point that even when Oregon turned on the Jets and at the end of the fourth quarter, despite Washington really dominating for nearly three quarters, by the end of the fourth, just one quarter where Oregon was that much better than Washington, Oregon all of a sudden looked like the better team. Washington went from having a 85% chance to win the game at about the three-minute mark in the third quarter to Oregon having a 97% chance to win the game with two minutes and 21 seconds left. That was when Dan Lanning decided to go for it on fourth down. And once again, going for it on fourth down resulted in a bonix incompletion. Um, something that I'm surprised by on those fourth downs is Washington was able to stop the run at times. But overall, Oregon still rushed for 200 yards. They were able to get some explosive runs, and they were able to consistently really get four, five, six yards per carry. Why didn't you try and run on one of those fourth downs? It's it, it's confusing to me and probably confusing to the staff in retrospect. I don't want to pretend like I know more than the staff. I don't. But Lanning got way too much into what he wanted his team's identity to be. You can be aggressive and still kick the field goal before halftime, knowing that even though a four to one point difference may not look like a ton on paper, if you're down 21 to 22 at half, you get the ball to open up and you go down and score a touchdown, you can go for two, which Oregon's very capable of doing, and you're up by seven points. Or you're down by four, going into half, and you're only up by three. Being up seven as opposed to three in a game where a shootout is expected and Washington is scoring touchdowns at that point in the game and they're not even worried about kicking a field goal, I think is the smarter option. But maybe that's just my opinion. Washington threw Oregon off in the first half, first three quarters. Oregon came storming back, and they threw Washington off. They were blitzing, you know, pressure everywhere. They they even got to Penix enough to where they were able to injure him. Penix was not playing at 100% in that fourth quarter, but yet he stayed all the way through. He fought, and that's why he's my player of the game. He played through an injury, and he still threw for over 300 yards and four touchdowns, and he had one bad interception, and he had bad overthrows. Th- this is the funny thing. Oregon outplayed Washington. They out-executed Washington. But you watch that game. Washington is only going to get better from here as long as Penix is able to be healthy because there were wide-open guys that Penix missed due to overthrows, due to pressure, and sometimes just due to the fact that he was grimacing. I mean, he was not okay. He was in pain. And being in pain and having those emotions means you can make erratic decisions. 
if he was healthy, or maybe if Mateo Mele is starting at center and Washington is operating at full capacity, this game could have been a double-digit victory for Washington. Um, it, there's so much to talk about regarding this game. It's kind of why I'm bouncing around everywhere, because these teams are so good. On one hand, I look at this game and I think, this was Oregon's chance to win because they caught Penix making mistakes. They were able to get pressure on him and they were able to get him injured. And I don't know if Washington's, I think Mateo Mele is out for the whole season, but that's what I remember. I think he is. With that new starting center, he's only going to get better. He's only going to get more used to his situation. He kind of got thrown in against Oregon. I think that was his first official career start there. I think Washington, with the pieces they have, the injury that was suffered by Cameron Davis in the preseason and also Mateo Mele in season, this team is only going to get better because Dylan Johnson is getting better. The offensive line with more experience at that center position is going to improve. Washington is a team that is only, in my mind, going to progress the longer the season goes. But you could make the same argument with Oregon. Oregon has a higher blue chip ratio than Washington does. Oregon is more balanced than Washington is. Um, Shout out to Washington's defensive tackles. They didn't have a perfect game. But when they needed to make stops, like that third and two, they they made the stop. And they tackled, I think it was Irving or James for a one-yard loss. That set up Lanning going for it. Um, And look, I mean, going back to Lanning, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him in a few minutes, but I'm bouncing off the walls here because both of these teams are elite. They're college football playoff contenders. They're national title contenders. I don't think any secondary can stop Washington's passing attack. I don't think any secondary can do that. I mean, Oregon's secondary, it's not Georgia's, it's not Penn State's, it's not even Michigan's, it's not Ohio State's. There are probably other teams, Iowa, for example, that have better secondaries, but Oregon does have an offense. And Oregon in this game had a nearly 10-minute advantage of possession. So Washington's defense was definitely more exhausted than Oregon's was. And yet, despite Oregon's defense only being on the field for 25 minutes, them getting one turnover, and them getting over 500 yards, Washington didn't even hit 500 yards. They They were closer to 400 yards than 450, with 415 total yards. Washington was just that more efficient at a base level despite playing a worse game, if that makes any sense. Oregon played, outside of decision-making, I thought their players played at an A level. Bo Nix, he completed 75% of his passes. You know, Bucky Irving, averaging over five yards per carry. Nix was only sacked once, and I think Washington does have a better defensive line, especially on the interior, than Oregon does. They definitely have more NFL bodies, more future NFL potential players. It's really, despite being hurt, despite just so much that could have gone Washington's way but didn't, and they still won, in in large part because of Michael Penix. And in the postgame, I don't typically talk about postgame interviews, but he's a selfless player. He's someone who you know, doesn't flinch in the face of pain or hard work. That's the sign of a truly deserving Heisman player. 
in my mind. Not just quarterback. The Heisman should not be a quarterback award, but he already has 20 passing touchdowns on the season, only six games. And he could realistically have 50 if he plays in the Pac-12 championship game, stays healthy throughout the whole season, plays in the playoffs, and maybe for two games. I mean, this this defense has a ceiling, too. There's a reason that Washington was able to hold Oregon to being 0 of 3 on fourth down. It just wasn't Oregon suspect play calling. Washington has players like Jabbar Muhammad who are rarely targeted because they're that good at corner. They have capable linebackers and safeties. They have great defensive tackles and great pass rushers. It's not just Penix, but Penix being a guy that had a very rough second half and yet taking his team from being only given really a 3% chance to win with two minutes left, and within two plays, in 30 seconds, just heaving it up, heaving it up to, I don't think it was Adunze, but he hit Adunze for that second time. Um, He hit him for that second time for that touchdown. It was just, that was an incredible play. It was Jalen Polk, my bad. He heaved it up, and he fit it right where only Jalen Polk could catch it. I mean, his throws are incredible. Michael Penix throws dimes everywhere. And it was uncharacteristic of him to be that off in the second half. That's credit to Oregon's pressure, but also the injury definitely played a role in that. And now that Penix has faced that kind of pressure, he's going to be more prepared for it. So from that perspective, it might be harder for Oregon if a rematch occurs but then again, Oregon also kept shooting themselves in the foot. In retrospect, I know hindsight's different than in the moment, but if they just kicked those two field goals, Camden Lewis wouldn't have had all the pressure put on him from the world at the end of the day to make, to make that field goal. There were people like blaming Camden Lewis for the missed field goal for Oregon. And that's just lunacy. It's pure and utter lunacy. If you have to rely on your kicker to win the game, either your coaching staff and your offense or defense didn't do enough things right, or the other team played a perfect game, and you also played a perfect game, and it just happened that, really, you flipped a coin, and the coin didn't land properly. I mean, Camden Lewis, in total... He was only asked to kick one field goal. He could have kicked it on fourth and goal entering the halftime. He would have at least gotten points. Would have only been down by one. You would have, you know, been getting the ball to start the half and only being down by one as opposed to four, which that, that ended up making the game, really. Um, so just a lot of things to go over, but I once again want to talk about Penix. He's second in the nation quarterback efficiency rating right now, and he's also the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Good for him. He deserves it. Playing through that injury, being tough, and also, you know, being wise. He really made one bad mistake, and that was a miscommunication between him and Odunze on that that route. That was after him and his tight end Jack Westover converted that fourth and one, where Penix did underthrow it, but Westover in a beautiful fashion, came back, scooped his hands up under the ball, and then one or two plays later, 
Penix and Odunze miscommunicate in a route, and Penix just throws it right to Oregon's secondary. And I guess where where to start other than that with Dan Lanning? You get that pick. You immediately get momentum. I mean, Washington converting that fourth and one in in their own territory tells you that they want to kill you, that they have the same aggressive mentality that you do. Same with them. The multiple times they forced the Ducks to punt, they're down by four. They go for it. They even run a wildcat play, which worst play call by Ryan Grubb the entire game. Quarterback sneak it, even if it is with your injured quarterback. You have a good offensive line, but I digress. You have the momentum. You're down in Washington territory. Take the three. You're not denying your players an opportunity by taking the three. You're not doing that. You give them momentum. You're rewarding your defense for picking off Michael Penix and for executing on a play that, you know, nine out of 10 times, that's probably in Roman Adunze 25-yard gain, and he mosses your defensive back again. Just take advantage of what you have. Stop trying to scale up. Washington was smart. They didn't play your game. That's why when Oregon went for two to take a one-point lead, Washington, in response, when they scored, they just kicked the field goal to go up by six. Only later in the game, after they devised a plan and didn't execute it recklessly, did they go for two. And that was almost an interception on the two-point conversion. But Washington's player in that moment, I think Westover or the other tight end, just... He did his job, he executed properly, and the Oregon defensive back over-pursued. That was the problem with Oregon all day. They had more offensive yards, but they were too aggressive for their own good. Washington knew when to be conservative, and they knew when to be aggressive. They played the better game in from a coaching perspective. They coached the better game. I think Oregon's players executed better, because Washington, whether it's the overthrows, you know, whether it's the, the the route miscommunication, that that game could have easily been just as much as it could have been an Oregon victory. Washington could have won by double digits. And Dan Lanning just, I don't think, took advantage of opportunities. And maybe he didn't see kicking a field goal as taking advantage of an opportunity. He thankfully accepted that in his post-game press conference, saying that the loss is 100% on him. But the stubbornness cost Oregon their A-level effort, and that hurts. Now, for Oregon, I think an upside for this team is they're going to be mad because they had the game in the bag. The players know it. The coaches know it. Heck, the, the fourth down and the obsession with going for it on fourth down, that may not have been a bad thing if it wasn't the same rollout play like that was that was the play they ran on I think two or three of the three fourth downs it was the same concept and Washington just never bit it they covered everyone they got pressure maybe if you ran it one time I'd be talking about it differently Um, but it didn't happen so you do change a few things 
I mean, football is often talked about as a game of inches, and sometimes that's an overused cliche. But in this instance, it's true. Maybe you run Bucky Irving even even after the third and two was made into a fourth and three. Maybe you try the run again and say, hey, it didn't work, but maybe we lean into that. Maybe we just go with what so far has worked. I mean, we're averaging four yards per carry. Maybe you experiment and do differently, and maybe it converts, and then we call Dan Lanning a genius. So I don't view him in any less capacity as a head coach. I still think he's a great head coach. Young mind. Ryan Day cost his team against Oregon in 2021 by going for it on fourth down a bunch. If he brought out um, his his kicker, uh, gosh, I'm for, Noah Ruggles. If Noah Ruggles kicked two field goals, C.J. Stroud may not have been as stressed as he was or put under as much pressure. And maybe Ohio State goes down and kicks their third field goal to win 37-35. Sometimes the analytics and the overt aggression and the offensive-mindedness bites you in the butt. In the same way that sometimes being overly aggressive on defense and trying to fluster the quarterback sometimes results in blown coverages. It just happens. Both of these teams are well-coached. They're great teams. I think Oregon's a lead on offense, and I think they're great on defense. I mean, you put Washington against my Wolverines or fellow Big Ten member Ohio State or Penn State. I think they're scoring, like, at minimum high 20s and at most in the 40s on those teams. I don't think this passing game can be stopped. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but Oregon... They came into this game with well over 10 sacks, and currently they got a sack one against Washington. They have 19 sacks, close to 20. Five interceptions, four forced fumbles, 25 passes defended. They'll probably end the season with over 40 sacks, which, if you only look at sack numbers, will definitely be a top 20, top 15 pressure defense. And Washington's offensive line, with Troy Fatanu and Roger Rosengarten and the, the guards in the center just said, hold my beer, eat pizza, eat pizza, you'll love it. And Penix was protected for a lot of the time. Other times he faced pressure, and occasionally he delivered under pressure too with those receivers. Those receivers at many points beat Oregon's defensive backs a good defensive back unit that includes great players like Kyrie Jackson, beat him one-on-one. So Oregon, I think, is going to play with an edge for the rest of the season. I would not be shocked if they blew out or destroyed everyone they faced from here on out. This includes Oregon State. This includes Utah. Even though Utah is a road team, if Utah doesn't have Cameron rising, I don't see how their defense is surviving this offense. This offense would eventually break that defense if Nate Johnson and Bryson Barnes continue to produce and execute in the same way that they've been doing. And that also includes USC. You think USC is going to survive on the road and outs in stadium with how angry this team is going to play? Oregon will now be in wounded animal mode. That's another cliche, but I think for a team like Oregon especially, that's a true one. So if you're an Oregon fan, I know I've criticized this team a lot, but I view them in an elite regard. And you'll see it in my top 10 this week, which I hope to release tomorrow um, at the latest Wednesday. I didn't get to it last week except for my live video. But Oregon, they'll be a top five team. 
I mean, they are truly that good, and I think they'll win out and be 11-1, and and they'll meet a 11-1 or more likely than not 12-0 Washington to play for the Pac-12 championship game in its final season. For the Washington Huskies, they stayed their course and it paid off. Like I talked about, Oregon was almost on psychedelics type of aggressive. You know, going for it three times on fourth down, trying to get you know explosive plays, and getting explosive plays through the passing game when Bonix wasn't in the pocket. That was an interesting statistic. Middle of the game, Bonix was averaging four yards per pass attempt in the pocket and nine yards per pass attempt outside of the pocket. I mean, this Oregon def- offense, but also defense, Oregon lives on aggression. But sometimes they get too into that. They get lost in their aggression. And that's what happens. I mean, it happens in life. That happens in football. That happens in history. You know, being adaptive is key. Not just sticking to what you know or what you want to do, but being well-rounded, being adaptive, looking at things from different points of view or angles. And that's what Washington was able to do. That's why Oregon outgained them by over 100 yards, why Oregon won the turnover battle, and why, despite Washington's defense being on the field for nearly 35 minutes, they were still able to make the good plays when it counted. Washington was 2 of 3 on fourth down. They were aggressive. I I don't want to say that Washington was—they played a conservative game. They played anything but a conservative game. They just knew— when to be aggressive. They weren't constantly, constantly, constantly trying to be aggressive. They knew what they were doing. That's what made their run game that much impressive. Oh, Oregon expects a passing down. Well, we're going to run it. And now Oregon's defense is scratching their heads. They're confused because Oregon and Dan Lanning know that if Washington's able to run for five yards per carry on 30 attempts, they, they might lose because... Washington doesn't do that. I mean, did you think that Oregon game-planned for Dylan Johnson to rush for five yards per carry or for Dylan Johnson to even have 20 carries? Washington, counting the lone sack that Penix had, had 23 carries. Now, Washington obviously runs the football. They try and have a balanced passing attack. But I was impressed with their ground game. I mean, there were wide open holes for Dylan Johnson to run through. He always had the correct angle. That's why he had his one rushing touchdown, is he got the correct angle. And this team just, they they executed, executed, executed. And outside of miscommunication before halftime and their you know fourth and goal attempt when they were down by four points, which that, you know, that wildcat play, that did not help one bit. That could have been called differently. And that's something that I imagine the staff is going to go over. Because I guarantee you, even if you want a quarterback sneak it with Dylan Morris, and at that point, everyone for Oregon knows that you're going to run it, you have a good enough offensive line to get a few inches and get into the end zone. So I think that was overthinking a bit. But really, it's a great game otherwise. There is not a better passing offense than Washington has. Is there? Is there? Um, if, if you think there is, comment down below, but I don't think there is. They averaged 8.3 yards per pass attempt. They had 316 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, one pick, 
38 passing attempts, and that was with plenty of overthrows. If Penix on a few of those passes throws a yard, two yards, three yards, you know, closer to his own line of scrimmage, just a little shorter, he probably has over 400 yards passing, and the game would have been over by the fourth quarter. Not joking. Um, There were plenty of times where Odunze, Polk, Jackson, and other players just straight up had Oregon defensive backs beat, had them burned. But because of Oregon's pressure, and also because Penix was injured, Penix was uncomfortable, and something Penix does have to work on as a quarterback is he has a hard time dealing with pressure. Because of those different factors and just, you know, how the game goes, some things, you know, in an an alternate theory or history can be changed. I don't know where I was going with that necessarily, but what I was trying to say is not everything went Washington's way, but they just kept going. They kept going. And whether Oregon or Washington is the better team in theory, Washington won. They're 6-0. and They're 3-0 and in conference. And I think Penix is winning the Heisman because, let's face it, Oregon is probably the best defense that he's facing outside of Utah. And Utah doesn't have an offense. They don't. And if Cameron Rising comes back, it'll probably take him a while to get adjusted. I don't know when he's coming back. They play on the road at USC, the Huskies do, after playing Arizona State this Saturday, coming Saturday, Stanford the following Saturday, go on the road to USC, they host Utah, they play at Oregon State, and they host Washington State. Um, Washington State has been exposed as fraudulent. I was wrong to have them even close to my top 10 um, a few weeks ago. That was awful on me. Arizona State and Stanford will probably get shellacked. Oregon State, I imagine that could very much be a shootout. Utah, USC, I think that those teams are far too one-dimensional in one way or another. Meanwhile, Washington's extremely balanced, well-coached, disciplined, adaptive. I think Penix is winning the Heisman. And I think he will torch most of those defenses. And he'll eventually wear down Utah's as well, unless they get their offense going. And for Oregon, I want to talk about their schedule very briefly before returning to Washington. They host Washington State this Saturday. I imagine that's going to be a bloodletting of anger. I wouldn't be shocked if the score of that game was 56 to nothing. They play on the road at Utah, which will be a test. It's a road game. Rice-Eccles is a tough place to win, but I think Oregon's the better team there. They host California. They host USC after Washington plays on the road at USC. So USC is going to be tired. They're either going to be emotionally broken if Washington beats them, or they're going to be high and probably need someone to shove reality in their face if they somehow beat the Huskies. Oregon then will play at Arizona State before closing out the year in Civil War. Hosting Oregon State will likely be a revenge game. So I think both of these teams are destined for a rematch. And Kalen DeBoer coached a good game. Ryan Grubb did. The defensive staff, I liked what they tried to do. The secondary did have moments where there were just blatant, obvious holes. And the defensive line did not exactly match up very well with Oregon's offensive line. But at the end of the day, they got the stops when they needed to. And they were clutch. And 
I'm impressed with all of these players. I mean, it was just, it was a great game. This was an all-time classic. It was, in my mind, the, the best game of the year, and that includes me watching Red the, the Red River rivalry, Red River shootout. That game, I just think, had a lot of mistakes. You know, Texas having several turnovers, and yes, there were highlight moments within those mistakes, but this was a pretty flawless game in a lot of areas. The mistakes here were for Oregon, their fourth down conversions. That's really three of them. For Washington, the interception and the Wildcat play, like the strange Wildcat play, those are five mistakes, like five key critical errors that really are caused by only you and the circumstances that you chose to put yourselves in. That's that's pretty incredible. So both of these teams, I think, are elite, and that's all I have to say for this video. Thank you to my patrons for sponsoring this video and this channel. I want to thank my All-Americans, Spencer Bringhurst and Noah DDLC, and my All-Conference sponsors, Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale. Check out my Patreon via the link in the description so that you can get assistance on picking games, picking spreads, and also so that you can just follow the journey of potential power. It's something that I like having input on. Um, I'm very new to the whole you know, idea of gathering data, and building predictive models. I'm not a computer programming guy, and in working on this, I somewhat regret it. So if you think you have something to offer, um, even just shoot me an email regarding, you know, what your input is or what you're curious about, and we can have a conversation. I'm always open to comments, always open on my email, and also on my Patreon. So thank you so much, and have a great day, guys. Bye-bye.